0: Notice that everything you ever thought would make you happy ever after didn't? Oh, me too. It turns out Sean Cassidy was not my soulmate. Orgasms only last a few seconds and money does not buy happiness. Hi, I'm Dr. Cheryl Fraser and welcome to Sex, Love, and Elephants, the weekly podcast where we explore relationships, mind, and the meaning of life. A place where you are normal if you feel like something's missing, even though you have it all. Because guess what? Happiness is an inside job. How do I know? Well, if a Buddhist nun and a sex expert had a baby... I'm it. I'm a psychologist, sex therapist, and author. I've meditated for 12 hours a day for months at a time. I've studied Tantra in Tibet, and I've taught for people like Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield and helped thousands of couples reignite passion. My mission with a loving heart is to kick your ass off the couch and into awakening. And here's the secret. If you want to cultivate wild love that lasts, compassion and curiosity, and the superpower of being happy for no reason, first, you've got to meet your elephant. So let's go! Well, hello, everybody. It's me, Cheryl, here. And what an absolute delight it has been for the last many weeks. All summer long, we did the Summer of Love series. We did the Fall into Love series. Then you heard all sorts of wonderful, I hope, helpful material about sex and love and relationships in these last few extra special podcasts we brought you while I was offering my 12-week immersion couples program. We've started. It's amazing. Thanks to all the couples who've joined me for this extraordinary adventure. If you missed us, hopefully you can join the wait list and maybe join us next next year. But today, the name of this podcast is Sex, Love, and what? Elephants. So I'm bringing you tonight and off and on over the rest of the fall and winter, a mixture of relationship-oriented podcasts, sexuality-oriented podcasts, and elephant podcasts. What's the elephant? Well, you can go back and listen to earlier episodes, but the elephant is... The Wisdom Inside Us, I study and teach and practice to the best of my ability, not so good some days, Buddhism, Buddhist philosophy, the teachings of the Dharma, meditation, and more. And tonight's podcast is taken from a class I gave. A couple of weeks ago, a Dharma class, a teaching drawn from Buddhism. And what you're going to hear about is what do we do when the tough stuff happens? How do we draw on an inner elephant courage and wisdom to help us get through the biggest losses in our life? Without further ado, here we go. The audio quality is going to be a little bit different. This is taken from a a virtual class I did, and I hope you really enjoy it. And I'll be back with you next week with a brand new episode as well. I had a few ideas for tonight. This will be um, a reasonably short talk, I think, with a little help from a cat. But I'm going to tell a story of a, a, a patient of mine who I've been working with off and on for many years. She's in her uh, mid-70s, delightful woman. And uh, I know she won't mind sharing this with you. Very recently, in the last few weeks, her mother died. Her mother's been um, very, very ill with advanced breast cancer and dementia. And she finally slipped away about two or three weeks ago. Uh, And my patient, who I'll call Janice, not her real name, there was some relief and grace in her mother's body finally letting go. But Janice is also concurrently with uh, waiting for her mother to pass. Uh, her beloved husband, who's about 10 years her senior, also has uh, moderately advanced dementia. And in the last several months, she's had to make that difficult and and, and compassionate, yet very difficult choice to move him into a care facility She wasn't able to keep caring for him at home. She visits him every day, and um, all things considered, he's fairly comfortable and doing fairly well there. But put yourself there. You may well know people who've been there. You may be there yourself where your mother has died and your beloved life partner is in care and you're alone in the house. And what do you turn to when these challenging, difficult dukkas, impermanences, pains, difficulties um, are, are present. Right now in this virtual Dharma class, there's 15, 20 people. And I know some of your stories currently, and I know some of you are really struggling with tremendous heartbreak and loss of a relationship or a marriage um, a spouse uh, with cancer that you are very worried about and, uh, and, and, and going through that journey alongside loss through death. And there are some who are probably right now, your lives are reasonably OK. There's nothing very big. But I want to circle back to the woman I'm calling Janice. Janice is a, a, a very sweetly committed Christian. Her faith is important to her. Her relationship with God is important to her. She's got a beautiful, uh, I would call it a Dharma view, as did my grandmother as as a strong Christian, of essentially loving kindness and compassion, service to others. So much beautiful overlap in these beautiful teachings. And as I was contemplating our conversation tonight, she kept coming to mind in terms of how much solace, how much uh, grace, how much comfort she is able to receive um, these days through the loss of her mom and the, the slow loss of her husband and other difficult things by connecting in prayer, connecting in, a, in in a in a silence practice through prayer not dissimilar at all to what we've done tonight, coming home to uh, Buddha Dharma to Buddha nature, to mind, to heart, to God, to the universe. And when she's at her most bleak, she can always come home to her faith, to her um, belief and and in her understanding that her mom is at peace now. Um, She had a twinkle in her eye when I saw her last, uh, Queen Elizabeth had died. And she said, you know, my father, uh, her father's still alive. He's just lost his wife. He said, well, you know, Janice, now there are two great women in heaven, and maybe mom is having tea with the queen. So as I thought of that, it's so similar to what I'm offering today, which is in, in the easy times, in the medium times, and let's be honest, particularly in the toughest times, Your house burns down. Your mother dies. Your husband needs to go into a dementia care home. Um, Someone you love walks out on you and says the relationship's over. Um, You go bankrupt. You get fired. Um, On and on and on. You get sued. Um, Someone reneges on a contract and there's financial fear and worries of the future. The more dramatic dukkas uh, the more dramatic sufferings, the more dramatic stuff we don't want. I guess to cut to the chase, we could call this talk, what do we do when the chips are down? What do we, what do, we do when things are tough? What do we do in the darkest hour?" And I use the example of uh, the person I'm calling Janice is that she can always come back to her Dharma, her, her truth, her, her faith, her solace. And it helps a little bit. Does it take all the pain away? Well, of course not. None of us are foolish, but it's been such a beautiful practice. There's been some challenging things going on. Um, Nothing terrible. I'm absolutely fine overall, but some challenging things going on for the last month, For this being, and where do I find solace? Yes, I find some solace, as I hope we all do, in in the love of friends, um, having a a good person to talk to, hugs from my husband, definitely purrs from the cats, wags from the dogs. Uh, But ultimately, in addition to those beautiful relative solaces or comforts or um, kindnesses, Really where there is peace is in what I am modeling and sharing and inviting tonight, coming home. No matter how strongly in a very classic Buddha Dharma teaching, I can give a a talk on again soon, if you like of the eight worldly winds, uh, we're blown about by circumstance. And I'm not meaning we're, you know, helpless victims, but If you go home tonight and your house has burnt down due to an electrical flaw, your house has burnt down. You know, the winds of change have thrown that at you. They've blown that into your life. Goodness, in a very real way, um, on the uh, east coast of Canada, with that hurricane or storm off Newfoundland and off the Maritimes, one woman was swept out to sea and they found her body. Uh, boom, the winds, or or, or or, in that case, the waves of change. The teaching of the eight worldly winds talk, and I'm not going to go into it too deeply tonight, but it talks about um, four pairs. One of them is uh, praise and blame, right? So you're living your life, and maybe your boss is really happy with your work and you're getting some really verified and, and and fair praise about your hard work and the wonderful job you're doing and then there's a management shakeup as so so often seems to happen in these larger companies my sister's company just gone through um, doing a big merger and then there was a huge unexpected management shakeup where they kept my sister, but they were going to lay off her boss and her number one colleague, two wonderful people who are excellent at what they did. The winds of change from, from praise to blame. So you're wonderful. We appreciate your work. You're such a valued person. Change, change, change. Maybe we're cutting back for whatever reasons. And now it turns to blame. We're going to let you go. Thank you for what you've done. We don't need you anymore. And another uh, pair of these worldly winds, there's four pairs is um, pleasure and pain. We can take that as simple as um, if you're a little bit hungry and there's a lovely uh, sliced apple and you eat a few pieces, it's pleasurable. But if you are feeling kind of sick and you eat an apple and it's a bit spoiled and you throw up, then it's, it's unpleasurable. This is kind of not rocket science, but into our life, Almost every moment and through our day so repeatedly comes pleasurable things and unpleasurable things. You know, you um, uh, read a delightful story and it, it brings warmth to your heart. That's pleasurable. Then you get up and walk somewhere and you stub your toe and that's unpleasurable. The Buddha's teaching of these eight worldly winds, these four pairs, fame and disrepute and pleasure and pain, plays, praise and blame, I forgot the other one off the top of my head, but that doesn't really matter because the point is, holy smokes, do we ever get buffeted around by what? By impermanence, right? You left your house this morning, you come home and it's been burned down. You left uh, your partner this morning, you come home and they've left a note. I'm done, I don't want to be with you anymore. You um, you go do your work and you come home and you get told you're fired or we're not going to pay you anymore. I'm not trying to be a bummer, (laughs) I'm trying to actually be to share some inspiration, which is no matter what the winds blow into our life, some of it will be pleasant and desired and we'll be grateful for it. Positive things. Some of it will be challenging, difficult, or heartbreakingly hard. And there'll be neutral days where the winds don't seem to be blowing much at all. You don't get to be the weather person. You don't get to choose a fair and sunny day every single day. Oh, how I wish we could. Hey, imagine if we could choose. (laughs) I want nothing but praise and pleasure and uh, fame and, and all the good stuff. What are we left with? We're left with coming home. We're left with equanimity is another concept many of you are familiar with, maybe a newer word to some. We're left with who am I? In the midst of the storm, how do I react to the unwanted, painful or difficult winds? How do I show up with compassion for myself, with compassion and wisdom in terms of any actions I might take? I get to decide what kind of tree I am. So when the winds are buffeting our lives, as they do sometimes, other times we have so-called smooth sailing for periods of time. Enjoy it while it lasts. I'm not being facetious. Really enjoy the periods, the weeks, the days, sometimes the months where things are all pretty good. There's some relative difficult stuff. But, you know, the people you love are healthy. You're enjoying your work. Things are going quite well. You enjoy your home. Enjoy the heck out of those, my friends, because in time it will change. This is the simple truth of the first and second noble truths of Buddha Dharma. The first is that everything changes. Impermanence, a Nietzsche, is a real thing. Now, you know that. You don't need to hear any Dharma to know that things change. Can you think of one thing that's ever stayed the same? Well, the mountain behind you, Cheryl. Mm, not at all the same. In, this, in the minute it took me to say the mountain behind you, Cheryl, all sorts of things changed on the mountain. You can't see anymore because it's getting dark. Leaves fell off trees, for example. A deer moved through and ruffled some of the the landscape. Birds flew in here. Probably a branch broke off randomly because it was old or brittle or a gust of wind came. Nothing stays the same. This is the first noble truth, the first fact of life that I defy you to disprove. I welcome you to disprove what's constant, what stays the same well, that doesn't sound too scary, does it? Everything changes. I mean, that's not really bad news necessarily. Well, no, it's not. But here's the thing. Some of those changes, those winds of change, feel welcome and positive. You fall in love. You eat a beautiful meal. You um, enjoy a moment. You have a beautiful meditation. Some of them are unpleasant, though. We've been through that enough tonight. I don't think I need to belabor it. But everything from a Uh, a stubbed toe to a tragic car accident that kills half your family tonight and everything in between. Some of the Anichas, the impermanences are very painful. Now the first noble truth says that everything changes and that that is the truth of not just impermanence, but also the truth of Dukkha, the truth of suffering. And if you extrapolate this, not very far, it's a very simple teaching It's not easy to live in alignment with all the time. It's a very simple teaching. Things change, and some of those changes are not going to be what you want. That leads to suffering. So when Janice's mother dies, when her dear husband has to go into care, when uh, many of us on this call are struggling with ends of relationships or depression or anxiety or work difficulties or uh, betrayals, et cetera, it's painful, isn't it? That's the truth of suffering. But wait a second. There's more than one noble truth. The second noble truth says the cause of suffering is that we're clinging. It's a bit of a puzzling sentence if you've never heard it before. A lot of you on the call can immediately decipher what that means. But the first time you heard it, what does it mean the, the cause of my suffering is clinging? I don't really get that. So I wanted to break it down again tonight because I know a lot of you are struggling. And it's been a bit of a tough month for this being in some ways. And I needed a course correction. I needed an inner and a mental course correction to come home, to go, yeah, Cheryl, like in every other life and uh, mountain and glass of water, things change. And am I suffering? Are you suffering? Is Janice suffering because of what happened in our lives? Right now, I want you to do a thought experiment. And I want you to think of something big or medium And if you're very lucky right now, just small, that is difficult or painful or that you wish wasn't happening right now. You wish you didn't have to go for a medical appointment today. You wish you didn't have that friend who's angry at you and not talking to you. You wish that your cat or your dog wasn't getting so old they were going to die soon. Whatever it is, take something from your life. You don't have to share it. That you wish was different. In other words, this thing is painful or negative or a wind you don't want. And think of that thing. I'm going to think of a a business challenge I've been having to face. Okay, that's the thing. That's Cheryl's thing. That's Alexis's thing. That's whomever's thing. Is that thing causing our suffering? Is that thing causing our um, grief or um, anxiety or difficulty? Well, it, it sure feels like that thing is causing the, the pain, the suffering, doesn't it? It sure feels like the person who doesn't want to be your lover anymore or the medical diagnosis that's scary and leads to pain and the difficulty or uh, the business, um, you know, difficulty that's uh, causing consternation. It sure feels like that's why we're upset. Absolutely, it feels that way, which is why this can be a puzzling teaching. When we first hear, well, no, it's not the fact that I'll use a really dramatic one. It's not the fact that your house burnt down that's causing you to suffer. Person's like, heck yes, it is. I'm scared. I'm broke. I don't know if my insurance will cover my house. I don't know where to keep my children safe for the night. I've lost all my possessions. Bloody right. It's the fact that the house burnt down. That's the reason I'm suffering. What are you telling me? In fact, it can be quite unkind to teach Dharma or share Dharma with a friend clumsily. Say, well, you know, it's not the fact that your house burnt down that you're suffering. It's your mind. That can be very unskillful. Be very gentle and don't say that at the wrong time in the wrong way to someone where it can make it seem like you're blaming them for being upset. But at a deeper level, it's not the event you've just thought of or the event I just brought to mind that's troubling me a bit. and It feels like has been causing me to suffer. The, th- the reason we're suffering isn't that our house burned down or fill in your event or pain there. It's our reaction to the fact that the house burnt down. I know this sounds a bit much, because if your house burned down, you'd probably be upset. I probably would be too. But if my people and animals got out, I'd be more or less okay. And I can say that with some confidence, because I went through that situation with my very closest friend in California. A few of you know this. About five, six years ago, when the horrifying fires happened in Santa Rosa, California, 65 people were killed that night, hundreds of houses burned to the ground, including my best friend's house where I was staying. We had to run for our lives, jump in the car with the kids and the dog while well, the the buildings were on fire. The sky was on fire. Uh, the freeway was on fire. It was very, very dangerous. And my friend's house and the entire subdivision, 40 or 50 houses on the hill where they lived, were literally burnt to ash. So I can say with some confidence, my dear friend, who isn't a Stated Dharma practitioner, but has very similar worldviews to those of us that study Dharma. The fact that she and her family and her best friend and the dog, not necessarily in that order of importance, were all safe, means although they had lost everything, we're talking burnt to the dust, including my suitcase and all my stuff, big deal. But the people and the pets were okay, and she handled it with incredible grace, effectively, effectively. The winds of change, because it was a wind-driven fire, had burned her house down and everything to ash. There's no exaggeration in what I'm saying. But she was okay in here and here, because the dukkha isn't that your house and all your stuff has been burnt. The dukkha is in how you react to this change. The dukkha is in forgetting the truth of change, forgetting that into our lives some very difficult winds may blow. Death is a pretty simple one that we're almost all going to experience unless maybe we die very young in childhood. We're going to lose people we love through death. The person dying isn't actually what's causing our pain. As weird as that sounds, because it sure feels to the fiber of our being that the pain is because so-and-so has died. But really the pain, this is the second noble truth, is that we're clinging to want it to be different. We're clinging to wanting our house to not be burnt to ash. We're clinging to wanting our mom to still be alive and well. We're clinging to wanting our husband to be chuckling at home with us over tea and toast instead of not sure who we are anymore while he lives in the memory care home. We want everyone to behave kindly, ethically, and pay what's owed. We want our boss to see how hard we've worked and not lay us off because of a corporate shakeup. But here's the empowering and almost impossible-sounding truth of that second and third noble truth. I haven't mentioned that one yet. If your house burns to the ground, if someone you love has died, if you lose your job or get mucked over or whatever happens, there doesn't need to be any suffering. Sounds pretty fanciful, but it's true. There doesn't need to be any suffering, pain, or distress if we can let go. The second noble truth is the cause of our suffering is clinging, hanging on, wanting it to be different. The cure to our suffering is letting go of that need for it to be different because guess what, everybody? It's not. The morning... After the fire, we I not living in California and didn't I didn't realize that the house was likely going to burn to the ground. The house itself wasn't on fire when we fled. The flames were coming up the hill. Um, uh, Later, my friend let me know that she figured when we left, she figured the whole house was going to be gone because she understands the fire situation there better than I. But we were sitting, uh, we'd eventually, in the middle of the night, finally made our way. We'd had to reroute because the freeways were on fire to um, her sister in law's house. And we were all, you know, kind of bundled up, sleeping on the couch and on the floor. And then uh, turned on the news, and there was a helicopter view of some of the wastelands of the fire. And as We looked, the helicopter camera zoned in on their hill, which had 50 or 60 or 70 houses, and it was ash. There's this moment of realization. It's all gone. In that moment, there could have been a tremendous amount of suffering. I'm sure there was some. But ultimately, the helicopter view, the knowledge the house is gone, doesn't have to affect our mind state at all if we let go of wanting it to be different because, my dears, sitting there watching on television the dust where your house used to be, it isn't different. You can't go back in time. You can't unfire the fire. You can't restart the clock to yesterday. We know that. None of us are dumb. But When we act as though this never should have happened and this is such a disaster and how can I ever recover and what can I possibly do? We're forgetting a simple, elegant, beautiful first truth. Everything changes. And I never want to unintentionally minimize your pain. And I don't want to unintentionally minimize mine. I don't want anyone to mistakenly think I'm saying, ah, get over it. Ah, suck it up, prince or princess. It's only a house. It's only a job. It's only money. Crap happens. That's not compassionate or kind unless you've got a great relationship with that person and they understand that sense of humor and that is kind. But ultimately, compassion says this. Compassion says please can we help each other remember that everything changes. And obviously none of us want your house burnt down or you to be fired or someone you love to be dying or having dementia. But this is the truth of reality sometimes and into all of our lives, some storms will come. And when I come home, I'll bring this to first person right now. When I come home, which I admittedly haven't been great at doing, In the last few weeks, I've had moments of grace, but there's been a lot of consternation and difficulty uh, due to some difficult winds. When I come home, the winds stop. The impact of the winds is still around me. If they've knocked things into rubble, the rubble's still there. But I am not suffering. Because in those moments, like tonight with you beautiful beings through my screen, I let go of clinging to wanting it to be different or the stories we cling to like this isn't fair. It it may not be. Maybe it's not fair when your house burns down, but there it is. (laughs) There it is gone. That person's being unethical. They might be. And yet that's what you have. The truth of reality is that is the present circumstance. So when you cling to it shouldn't be this way and I'm going to, push it and pull it and make it be different and beat it into submission and change reality. Turn this, this is the bunker for the bell, by the way, in case you're wondering where the heck that came from. Um, I'm going to turn this into a Harry Potter magic wand and magic all the change away. My friend's house is going to come back and my patient's husband's going to not have dementia. And he's going to come back home and eat, eat uh, toast and drink tea and be hilarious the way he always was. Her mother's going to come back your, 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 your cat, your dog, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your job, your business, your management position is going to come back. There, I just fixed it all. That would be a terribly uncompassionate thing to do. Because if for a few moments this <laughs> bell ringer slash Harry Potter wand could actually fix or take away my current challenging circumstance or all of your current challenging circumstances, I haven't done you a favor at all. I've given you a little tiny reprieve, a little inaccurate, illusory reprieve where everything's okay again. My house is back. My husband's back. My mom is back. My work is sorted. I feel good now. What a dreadful gift because all I will have given you is momentary illusion of okay And I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy those moments where things are okay for a bit. But if my solution to help you feel better and myself feel better was I'm just going to make all the stuff that's bothering us go away, we're hooped. Because the first noble truth, the truth of change, the truth of impermanence dictates, as did the law of physics, science, and everything else, it can't last okay The husband can't remain undemented forever. If we could bring someone back from the dead, they'd die again eventually. We can't solve our dukkha by solving the circumstances that we think are causing us pain, the loss of our house. We can only solve our dukkha by accepting the truth of what is and letting go of that clinging that says, I don't want my house to be gone, but my dear love, it is. So when we can stop clinging, when we can accept with as much grace as we can in that moment and let go and say, this is really hard and sad. And I wish it hadn't happened, but it has. And then maybe we can shed a few tears. Maybe we can make a cup of tea. Maybe we can ask for a hug. And maybe we can sit on our butt and invite our mind to come home. Sit on our butt and invite our heart to come home. Sit on our butt and come to this perfect present moment, literally right now, where everything's okay. Everything's entirely okay. And with that note, let's sit together for just a couple more minutes, inviting mind and heart to come home, to settle on the welcome mat of Bodhicitta that's always present where the light is always on thank you for listening to this week's episode of sex love and elephants but most of all thank you for being part of this herd if you enjoyed listening please share this with a friend and if you haven't already i would love 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 it if you would subscribe rate and review the show on your podcast player because it really helps all the other elephants find us If you have any questions or comments or maybe an idea for the show or you'd like to be a guest, reach out to me directly at drcherylfraser.com where you can also sign up for weekly Love Bites, science-based tips for creating love and passion that last a lifetime.